So this month, we're talking about building God's temple. Last week, we were talking about building God's temple with the presence of God. Because it wouldn't make sense if we build God's temple and the presence of God is not there, right? That's what we talked about last week. And in addition to that, when God's temple would be built up, according to Zechariah chapter 8, that's when people from other cities will come and worship with the Israelites. But it's only because God's presence is in that temple that they want to come and seek God to beseech him. Remember, that's what we talked about last week. This week, today, we're going to talk about building God's temple. And the title is Every Brick Matters. Every brick matters in the temple of God. Well, how did I come up with this title? I got this title because my dad told me this one time. He told me when I was 12 years old, he gave me a chisel and a hammer. My dad was a carpenter, or still is. He's retired, but you can't get that guy to stop working. He still works to this day. He gave me a chisel and hammer when I was 12 years old, and he said, Edre, I want you to take every brick and I want you to chisel out the mortar that's inside that brick. I looked at the mound of bricks. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of bricks. And I asked him, really? Why do I need to do that? So a background or a context to that story is that my dad wanted to extend the square footage of our house. He wanted to add uh, an... I guess a, a master suite is what we'll call it. He wanted to add a master bedroom, a larger bedroom than what he currently had in that house. So he wanted to extend it by adding a master suite and a second living room. Now, he had the means and the knowledge and the skill to do this work. I mean, that's how awesome my dad is. But then he also wanted to look for cheap labor. And where did he find his cheap labor but his 12-year-old son, right? And I said, but dad, I, I can't even lift the hammer or the chisel. Then my dad braggingly, boastfully said, how do you think I got these? You know, and he's lifting up his muscles. He said, if you want your muscles to grow, pick up that hammer and knock out every single mortar that you have that's in the brick. And I asked him again, why do I need to do this? See, this was cost effective for him. He didn't want to buy new bricks. He wanted to reuse the old bricks. He actually took the meticulous time to knock out every single brick, and now he was going to get his son to take out the mortar so he can replace it with new mortar when the time came. Yes, sir? Uh, no, no, he didn't. Wow. I, I'm, not, I don't, I'm, not envy, I'm not jealous of, of that. But I don't know if that's any better than taking out mortar from bricks. So I had to chisel each one out. And as I was going through the bricks, my arms began to, to get sore. I was tired. I was exhausted. And if you've ever held a hammer with a tight grip, after a few minutes, your fingers start to get numb. Right. So I asked my dad, why do I need to do this? His answer, he said, every brick matters for us to rebuild the wall. Every brick is going to matter. 
I'm still recovering from a cold, which was almost three months ago, and that cough is still there, so please bear with me. I'm not contagious. He said, every brick matters. And so since we're talking about building God's temple, I would like to propose that every brick matters. Now, what is the brick in God's temple? Well, we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. Paul is writing here. He said, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred. And what? You are that temple. Now, here's the thing. When I, when I heard this verse as a child, and when I read it growing up, I always thought this verse was talking about an individual, that it was just talking about a person, just you, just you, that, that it's talking about one single person. But when I studied it in the Greek, I realized all of the yous, like you are that temple, all of the yous are really in the plural. It's humes. Humes is you all. That's how you translate humes. Uh, it's you all. It's the second plural in, in the, um, if you were to parse the word. It's second plural. Second being you. First is I we. Second is you, you all. Third uh, person is what? Third person is he, she, they. So when it says who mays, what Paul is writing here is not just about one individual. He's talking about that you, do you all not know that you all are God's temple? That's exactly how it should read. And that God's spirit lives in you all. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you all are that temple. Do you see how every brick matters? If we're talking about building up God's temple, it's not a literal building anymore. It's the, it's the church of God. And the church of God is, is Kelvin, it's Rick, it's Carol, it's every single person in this room. Every brick matters. And I want that to sink in for you just a few seconds. Think about that. Have you ever had that? Had you, have you had the correct understanding of this verse? That you knew it was always talking about you all? Or were you like me, just thinking it's talking about one person. This has a different effect. This has a different meaning behind it at this point. That the church of God, that the temple of God means nothing if the body, if the collective body of the church is not there. Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to explore that chapter even more. <coughs> If we're going to understand verse 16 and verse 17, we have to understand the entire chapter in its full context. What 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about, Paul is addressing a division in the church. There's a divide in the church of Corinth. And what is the divide? 
Well, it's something that you might actually be familiar with. You've probably seen it in your own church. Maybe not this church, but churches that you grew up in, churches that you visited. You've probably experienced something like this before. Let's go ahead and read. We'll start in verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. It says, you are still world, worldly. Paul is saying that about the people of, of the church of Corinth. He says, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling, fighting among you, you are worldly. That is how Paul defines worldliness. If you do not know how to treat each other in a Christian, loving, respectful way, then you are what? According to Paul, you are worldly. You're worldly because what the, how the world responds to a challenge is with gossip or perhaps with animosity, jealousy. And what Paul says here, quarrel quarreling, fighting. Are you not acting like mere humans? When one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere humans? What, uh, what? After, all is, after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Do you see the dissension in the church? The problem that the church of Corinth experienced at that time was that there was a group of people that said, I am team Apollos, and there was another group that said, I am team Paul. Now, just a quick side note, Apollos, in this regard, is not the Greek god, not the Roman god, not the god of, not the sun god. This Apollos was a teacher in the church of Corinth. You could imagine it this way. Paul was the pastor and Apollos was the elder. Now, Paul had a seven or what was it? Uh, feel free to correct me, uh, Dave or anyone else. He probably had a six to seven church district. His churches were Corinth, Ephesus, right? Galatia, Colossae, etc. The list goes on. So he couldn't be at the church at all times. So he had to lean on elders and other leaders of the church to, to grow the church, right? And so in that process, the people started following Apollos more and some neglected Paul. So that was the division. That was the division. I'm team Apollos. No, I am team Paul. As a teenager, there was a church I went to, and I loved to go to adult Bible school class. You might say, wow, Edre, you like to go to adult Bible school class and not for teenagers, not for your age group? Well, here's the reason why I like to go to adult Bible school class is because there were two men in that class, one the teacher and another man who liked to attend the class that would always fight with each other. Does that sound familiar? I'm not saying that, that uh, it has not happened in this church, especially if you're a visitor and you're wondering. What I'm saying is we've, we may have seen that, right? 
They were fighting with each other. They were saying, I don't think that's what Jesus means. No, that's what Jesus means. And then when it came to righteousness by faith, oh, Adventists know that really well. Righteousness by faith, they argued that. And before you know it, everyone else was ostracized in the class. Or some people felt like they had to take a side. Oh, I'm going to take sides with the church leader. No, I'm going to take side with with the other brother. All the while, here I am as a teenager with my friend. We're sitting in the class because we just love the drama that's happening right before us. The fighting and the bickering. That's what's happening here. But the fighting and bickering is a lot greater than what I witnessed because this fighting and bickering is something that Paul is really worried about, that it's going to divide the church of Corinth. So he needs to call it out. He needs to put it out out there for everyone to see he, he needs to tell them that this, this is a wrong way to think so going back to verse 5 he says what after all is apollos and what is paul only servants through whom you came to believe as the lord has assigned to each his task i like what paul says here in verse 6 i paul merely planted the seed apollos watered it but God made it grow. What's Paul doing here now? He's, he's trying to show the people how Apollos and I are of the same purpose. We're of the same mission. I seed it. He has watered it. Ultimately, who grows it? God. <coughs> Ultimately, God is the one that grows it. He continues in verse 8. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose. There you go. Paul is saying it once again. Paul is saying, Apollos and I have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So, Paul is pleading to the people to let them know. He, he hopes that they understand that there is no competition between Apollos and me. Each of us have a different ministry in church, right? If we're building up God's temple, and if every brick matters, we also have to recognize that we each have a special ministry at church, It's not to outshine the other person. It's not to outdo the other person. If anything, we're all in the ministry of lifting up what? The name of Jesus Christ. So he he gave this parable, Paul. A parable about how he plants, he planted the seeds and Apollos is the one that watered it. That parable is clearly something about gardening or or farming, something that's agricultural. Now, in the following verses, he changes changes the illustration. In verse 10, he moves on from agricultural, and now he wants to to give the people an understanding of uh, of a deeper understanding of what this really means. He then says in verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. 
but each one should be careful how he builds. Verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other other than the one already laid, which is what? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He takes the illustration of agricultural and now he's using words such as foundation or builds or laid those are words synonymous in construction he now wants to illustrate to the people that we are a building a structure for god and that's where verse 16 and verse 17 comes in that's the full context of this passage that's where he then says do you all not know that you all are god's temple and that god's spirit lives inside you all if anyone destroys god's temple god will destroy him for god's temple is sacred and you are that temple why would he use such a language it's because that's what the people understood at that time, if you recall, the temple was the center of Jerusalem, the real physical temple. It had not been destroyed up to this point. Its destruction come until AD 70, after Paul's ministry. So that temple is still there. And so Paul is using words, using a language that the people will understand. Now, if you take a look at these bricks in the background, of this picture. You'll remember that those bricks are from the walls of Jerusalem. Fallen, destroyed. But look at how every brick comes together. (coughs) Provides strength. Every brick matters according to Paul. And if you were to look at this in its entirety, this is several feet tall, goes beyond, I think, maybe two stories tall. And, and this can withstand bombardment from an enemy, battering rams, catapults. That's how strong this structure is. How strong is our church today? Are, our, are we as bricks so joined together that if we face adversity, we would still stand? Or do we have a crack within our structure? The first house Bobby and I bought was in in Dallas, Texas. We have a habit of moving around, but uh, fortunately we We've made Colorado our home. But when we bought that house in Dallas, Texas, the inspector came. If you've ever purchased a home, you've had to work with an inspector, right? They will inspect your structure to make sure it's up to code and that it's safe for you to purchase and move into. So the, the, uh, the in- inspector came to, uh, came to our house, did what he had to do. Then he pointed out a crack within the bricks. Now, this is a new-build home right? And he's saying, you just want to make sure that that crack doesn't get bigger than that. If anything, as soon as you move in, fill it in. Fill it in with mortar. Why? Because if you let that crack, if you leave it there, water, which it rains a lot in Dallas, water will seep in and eventually that crack will grow even more, right? 
That crack will grow even more until this wall is compromised. Maybe the water will go in and rot the wood that's behind it. Maybe the water will cause it to expand even more until this wall will start to crumble. No, Siri, I'm not talking to you. She's nosy. And I have her turned off, too, so I don't know why she's talking to me. Every brick matters. Every brick matters. So what do you do when there's dissension in the church? Paul has that remedy. We have to continue on, and we're, we're almost close to, to, to the end here. <coughs> in verse 18, he says, Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, of this generation, he or she should become a fool so that they may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are Futile. Of course, the wise that he's talking about here is not Solomon wise, but this is selfish wisdom. In essence, he's being sarcastic about this. This isn't really wise. So then no more boasting about men, right? So what, what's the solution here? According to Paul, he says, then we need to be like fools. What does that mean, fools? It's just a phrase that Paul used that we need to humble ourselves. If you want to be wise, here's the first thing you need to do. You need to humble yourself. If you want to be wise, you have to first humble yourself so you can receive instruction, so you can learn especially from what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach you, especially since the Holy Spirit resides inside of you, in each of us. That's Paul's remedy, but I want to add on to that. I want to add on to, to the fact that Paul also mentions in other chapters, remember, we're in the book of Corinthians. What does he write in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Turn your Bible with me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're in the same book, right? We're in the same book, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What is that chapter about? You know this chapter really well. Caitlin? Yeah, it's about special gifts. It's about the body. He uses the illustration of the church being like that of the human body. That the, though the body has many parts, it's still working for one purpose, Right? For the body to continue to live, for the body to continue to function, the, the legs carry the body around, the head swivels so, so the eyes can see. The head means nothing if the eyes can't see, right? Or the nose can't smell. But every part is significant. Why is this important to understand that it's still in the same book of, of Corinthians? It's because it's still the same message he's talking about. Paul is really trying to, to nail it in their head, the people of Corinth, that unity is important for the temple of God. That's the main theme here, is unity is the most important thing. But he doesn't only stop at unity. He also says something else. 
go to chapter 13. What's chapter 13 all about? You know this chapter really well. Some of you have quoted it so many times. It's the love chapter. That's what I see your lips doing. Some of you guys are, are lip, or you're, you're telling me through your lips that this is the chapter of love. Right? Still within the same book because it's still Paul trying to tell the church of Corinth that you need to be united. <coughs> Not only does he give the illustration of one body, many parts, but now he talks about how love is important within the temple. This is the chapter where it says in verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And what's the first three letters of verse 8 say? Not letters, but words. Love never fails. Paul even continues to say in verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and what? Love. But the greatest of these is love. If you and I are bricks, and Jesus is the foundation, then love is the mortar that binds each and every one of us. The love that comes from the Holy Spirit. If we don't have that, we are not a temple of God. We are not even a church at that point. <coughs> Building God's temple. Building God's temple means that we need to recognize who we are, what our ministry is in the church, and how, and how, how you and I interact with each other, with love, with love. We need to end chapter three, so let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter three. Verse 21 Paul concludes, he says, So then, no more boasting about men. No more boasting about whether you're Team Apollos or Team Paul. He says, Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or the present uh, or the future, all are yours. What's he saying there? Pretty much what he's saying is, It's all for your benefit. So learn from Apollos, learn from Paul, learn from your brother, learn from your sister is what he's saying here. It's for your benefit. And I do believe that. I do believe that regardless of who's speaking, who's sharing, who's teaching, who's saying anything, when it's in this setting, I think you and I can always learn something even from someone who is as young as Keo and Kai and someone who is as old as, who's the oldest in here? I'm joking. Don't raise your hand. As someone as old as, as silver hair on their head. Oh. Dave, don't call out Jose. Oh, you're close. <laughs> so, 
So that's what Pastor Paul, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying benefit from one another. Learn from one another through the love that we get from the Holy Spirit. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. One last story I'd like to share with y'all is of uh, Mr. and Mrs. Kennedy. When I was a chaplain at Littleton Adventist Hospital, um, I think he was one of the first few patients I met. So I was still early on in chaplaincy, still learning the ropes and everything. Um, But I was, he left a very lasting impression on my mind. I think, Dave, you can remember some patients that you have met, right? Because they have resonated with you. They have left something behind that, that you can just remember. And, and Mr. Kennedy was that patient of mine. He was 98 years old. That's one of the things that, that, that my attention was drawn to was just his age. But then not just his age, but he was so vibrant. He was alive. I mean, he joked with all of the staff. He, he knew all the old jokes, the, the new jokes. He, he was loved by his family. Then he was on the seventh floor of Littleton Adventist Hospital. He was trying to regra- regain strength in his right leg because he had lost some ability in it due to a stroke. Realizing his age, he said, I'm ready to accept fate, and I don't think I want to continue on with medical assistance. In other words, he said, I'm okay if I don't get better. I'm okay because I've lived 98 years on this earth. Then there was his wife, Mrs. Kennedy, a delightful young lady. Mr. Kennedy, at the age of 98, (coughs) was, I think, probably as tall as Rick or Jim. And then his wife was petite, This petite young lady who was so sweet. The time came when Mr. Kennedy couldn't talk anymore. And he was declining, which meant that he was getting ready to pass away. And as the family gathered in the hospital room, I talked to Mrs. Kennedy. I asked her to share her favorite memories of her husband and of her family as they grew up. And she did. She shared some funny moments. She shared some sad moments. She shared some horrific moments. Then she told me that they had been married for, I think, 82 years. So what's the math on that? 98 minus 82. 16 years old, they were married. They were in their teens when they're married. And I was, I was shocked by that in a, in a good way. I was thrilled to hear that. I was like, wow, 82 years. You've been married longer than some people live, is what I told Mrs. Kennedy. And she nodded her head, and she says, yeah, God has been great. God has been gracious. God has blessed us with so many years. So then I asked her the secret to marriage. The secret to being together with someone else for so long. And this is what she said. Be kind to each other. That's what we did for one another. Mr. Kennedy was kind to me. I was kind to him. And of course, she kind of, she elaborated on what kindness meant. There was laughter in there. There was a time to communicate, to listen to one another, to most of all what? 
love each other. Just like what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, to love one another. So, we're talking about building God's temple. What's needed? The foundation of Jesus Christ. The bricks of you and me. And the love, the mortar that's going to bind us together.